This is Adopted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. Welcome to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. This episode, we are having some frothy, flirty fun in the 1930s London with Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day by Winifred Watson and the 2008 film of the same name. Yay! Sam, what's your quick take? Uh, honestly, I wasn't expecting the mild racism in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's but, get that out of the way right uh, now. But maybe I should have, considering it was written in 1930s, 1930s England. Yeah. I mean, and I, it's, I shouldn't say mild because there's no such thing as mild racism. I, I would say... But... You know what bothers me the... Oh, God. I, okay. So clearly we are, like, not experts. Correct. And anything we say should be taken with grains of salt. Very, are, very, very big grains. We are certainly always learning and working to improve yes. ourselves. Um, but I think, for me, one of the worst things about the racism in this book is how lazy it is. Yes! It's like, you go back and you read something like Huckleberry Finn, where... It's a central part of the story that some of the people are racist, and mm-hmm. so like, you, ca- the fact that there is so much negative language in it, it's because that's there. He's trying to make a point about the world and yes. how people are treated and people who are enslaved are treated, but um, and, uh, people of color are treated. But in this, it's like it's just tossed out a couple of times. It's super dumb. It's, and it's it's and it honestly, it'd be so easy to do this book and just like cut three sentences and mm-hmm. then you get rid of all yep. of the exactly the, everything yeah. i mean like if when they republished it because the edition i i read was every publishing in 2006 something for when the movie was they were they, they republished they it when the movie was coming out. yeah um did they take it out no okay. they could have but like that's what, like they totally could have and, and nobody would, lose, would have known better. You would lose nothing, and I nope. so and I think there are some things where it's like it's an artifact of the time. I honestly I, think it's it's just stupid and it it's is. stupid lazy. Yep. So if you have not read the book, which I have a feeling a lot of our listeners haven't haven't read the book, it's not a super popular book. It is actually delightful. It is. It is a very easy read, and I do recommend it. But um, she, the author, speaking through her character's perspective, refers to. One character is how he seems like he's probably part Jewish, mm-hmm. and then another character is of some kind of Italian descent, mm-hmm. and so there are a few passing insults to their character based on those things. Yes, and it's it's, it's just, just unnecessary. It's it doesn't, so unnecessary. It doesn't further the story. It doesn't further the characters. It's just your casual British racism, and you're just like over it. Yeah, I'm so over it. But to be fair, this book is over 100 years old. And nah. Almost, sorry, not over. Almost. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. I speak English. It is almost 100 years yes. old. Which, when I once I did that math, it made me feel a little more like, well, okay. We we have gotten better as a society yes. since then. I, I hope. I Wildly. Well, days. And I guess I what I like to think is that you can't just be casually racist like that anymore and 
have and just get away with it. Yes. Like there are still plenty of racists alive in the world, but you know, I think we're in a much better position to tell them that they are right. racist and wrong and less likely to be like, oh, they're a good person. They're just mildly racist. Yeah, no, that's, that doesn't happen. So Winifred yeah. Watson has passed on yes. to her to meet her maker, and she's certainly a woman of her time. But I, if she was still alive, I would gently say very loudly, because she's probably deaf and super old, yeah. Miss Watson, this was a mistake and you shouldn't have written that part. Correct. And okay. you should ask them to take it out when they publish it again. And seriously, just edit it before you republish it. Right. All right. Sorry, what's your quick take? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did kind of take over your quick take. That's okay. Did, was there anything else you wanted to say about the casual no, racism of this book? No, that was right. it. We've gotten it out of the way. We've gotten it out of our system. Now let's talk about the stuff we did like. Exactly. And I will say, I, there's a lot to like about the book and the movie. Yes. And hey, the movie does not have any of the... Was casual racism. No, no. No people of color, but, you but, know. you know, it's... They're at least... It's baby steps. I'm, uh, oh, no, it's, yeah. It's very white. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, shall we do our six degrees? Let's do that. Okay, do you want to go first? All right, I'll go first. Um, so I started with Sigourney Weaver. Of course. Who was a grandmother in A Monster Calls. She was in Alien with Ian Holm. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Ian Holm was in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, with Ian McKellen. Mm-hmm. Ian McKellen was in Mr. Holmes with Laura Linney. Oh, I see. There's like a home thing here going on. <laughs> well, that's the end of it. Oh, um, okay. Laura Linney was in The Fifth Estate with Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander was in The Man from Uncle with Army Hammer. Mm-hmm. And then Army Hammer was in Nocturnal Animals with Amy Adams. Oh, okay. All right. Well yes. done. Thank well you very done. much. Uh, would, you, would you like to give us out yours? I'd love to. I also started with Sigourney Weaver. Nice. And I think I picked the highlight of her career, <laughs> Heartbreakers, <laughs> with Gene Hackman. It's such a fun movie, though. It's a, yes. <laughs> but it is bad. It is bad, but it's fun. Uh, Gene Hackman uh, was in Royal Tenenbaums with Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. who, of course, was in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou with Noah Taylor. Ooh. Noah Taylor, dark horse there. Mm-hmm. Noah Taylor was in And Then There Were None with Anna Maxwell Martin. Yep. Who was in Death Comes to Pemberley with Matthew Good, who was in Leap Year yes. with Amy Adams. Again, Aww. highlight of both of their careers. <laughs> Matthew Good is very attractive in uh, Leap Year, though. I, I confession: I have not seen Leap Year. I've seen everything else on my list. I have not seen Leap Year. Leap Year was cute. I uh, I read it was terrible, so I didn't bother. <laughs> but it does have Matthew Good and Amy Adams, and I love mm-hmm. them both. So maybe I should give it another shot. I mean, they're in cute. all my copious spare time. Exactly, they're super cute. They're they are both adorable, attractive people. So. Yes, they are. Uh, but would you like to give us your book report? I would love to give you my book report. So, Miss Pettigrew List for a Day was written by Winifred Watson and published in 1937. It was her third novel out of six that she would write in total. Uh, the disruption caused by World War II put an end to her writing career, and she never returned to writing after the end of the war, although she did live to 2002. Yes. Um this is Watson's only book not set in the countryside, and according to her biography, she never visited any London nightclubs, and so her description is entirely out of her imagination, although, who knows, maybe she did slip away and have a day of her own that she just never told anyone about. Right, and so this is inspired by true life. Maybe, we can imagine, maybe. we can pretend, she's dead, she can't correct us. That's right. So Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day follows Miss Pettigrew, oh, Miss Pettigrew over the course of, you guessed it, a day. 
Yay! Uh, each chapter is titled by hours and minutes of the day. For example, the first chapter, 9.15 a.m. to 11.11 a.m., introduces us to the middle-aged Miss Pettigrew as she arrives at the employment agency. Miss Pettigrew is thin, defeated, and without a friend in the world. She's an out-of-work governess at the end of her rope, but lucky for her, one Miss LaFosse is looking for a governess. So Miss Pettigrew must go and interview. Miss Pettigrew hates being a governess. Mm -hmm. She is bad at it, and she knows it. Preach. But as <laughs> I don't know. You're really great with children, Sam. Uh, although maybe you're really good with still children because you ha can really yeah, control your window. exposure. Yes, there's a short window. Yeah. <laughs> but as a single gentle gentlewoman, I don't speak English, yeah, but yeah. as a single gentlewoman without other income, her options are extremely limited. As Miss Pettigrew makes her way into the opulent Onslow Mansions building to meet her potential employer, she prays to God to help her since this is her last chance. Once inside the building, things start taking unexpected turn after unexpected turn. Ooh. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Right. Miss LaFosse is startlingly beautiful, dressed like a movie star in an extravagant silk robe, and won't slow down long enough for Miss Pettigrew to explain that she's there for a job interview. Miss Pettigrew quickly gets caught up with helping Miss LaFosse tactfully evict one lover, theater producer Phil, and make way for another, the man who pays for the apartment, the terrifying Nick. Uh, Miss LaFosse relies on Miss Pettigrew, and for the first time in her life, Miss Pettigrew finds herself worthy of being relied on. She blossoms under Miss Foss's kindness and encouragement and emulates a previous employer bossing the men around to get first Phil and then Nick to bend to her will and leave. Her feigned confidence works, much to Miss Pettigrew's surprise, and Miss LaFosse heralds her as a genius. The scene and this scene in both the book and the movie are just delightful. I know. They I are. Love I love her. Yeah. Yeah. I love her pretending to smoke the yes. cigar. Or it's a cheroot in the book, and book. it's a cigar, cigar in the movie. Book, yeah. Whatever. I'm old enough damn well what I choose. Anyways, <laughs> yes, it's great. Uh, though Pettigrew knows she should judge Miss LaFosse's sinful lifestyle, carrying on with two men, wearing negligees, living indulgently, Miss Pettigrew is swept up in the drama and thinks to herself, this is life I have never lived before. And she cannot resist Miss LaFosse's charm and kindness. Ugh. Having solved so many of Miss LaFosse's problems, Miss Pettigrew is soon recruited to help her friend Edith Dubari, who owns the best beauty parlor in London. Edith arrives at LaFosse's apartment seeking help with a major romantic crisis. Her on again, off again boyfriend Tony is off again, and she needs help getting him back. Miss LaFosse and Edith are so impressed that Pettigrew was able that Miss Pettigrew was able to kick Nick out of his own apartment. They're convinced she can do anything. She can do anything. Miss P has no idea how she can help, but she goes along for the ride. Now, before they can go anywhere, though, they must do a makeover for the uh, old lady, middle-aged lady. She's she's probably like younger than me, honestly. <laughs> Edith works her magic, hair styled and face made up, clad in a borrowed dress from Miss LaFosse, and Miss P is no longer a dowdy out-of-work governess. She is elegant, refined, mm -hmm. and confident. The three ladies head to a cocktail party hosted by the Olgavies, knowing Tony will be there. Once they arrive at the crowded party, word quickly spreads that Delicia LaFosse has brought a friend who's an in-demand character actress, and everyone is delighted to meet her. Miss P meets the famous Tony and quickly befriends him. She imbibes a little strong liquor. Just and a little. Just a little bit. I think she has, like, a drink. Yeah. <laughs> but they're strong. They're super strong. Oh, I'm not drinking. That's what I forgot tonight. Yeah. I don't have... I don't have... Oh, we should have done cocktails for tonight, too. <gasps> that would have been perfect. All right, stop recording. That's it. We can't, we can't go on. Oh, this would be a great night to break out a special martini. Yeah, it would have. I failed you as a hostess. I'm no, sorry. okay. 
You're too busy to take care of your children. It's fine. (sighs) Yeah, they always ruin all of my fun. I mean, you don't have a Miss P to take care of them, so. I need a Miss P. I do. I need her to take care of me. She's she's (laughs) crap with children. She's great with adults. Miss Pettigrew and Tony strike up a friendship, and she has soon helped Tony to see the light. And before the party is over, the lovers are recognized. Recognized? (laughs) Before the party is over, the lovers are reconciled. Yes. Miss P saves the day again. Oh, my God. I love her and Tony's first conversation, where Tony has no idea what is going on. They're just talking in circles around each other, and, like, he's... Yeah, their their conversations are... It's amazing. It's like a ping pong match. Yes. Or rather, it's like one of those playing ping pong and one of those playing chess, and they have no idea what game the other one is playing. Miss <laughs> uh, Pettigrew and Miss LaFosse return to her apartment to relax and refresh before Miss mm-hmm. Pettigrew is set to perform at Nick's nightclub, and it is there that Miss Pettigrew meets the third man in Miss LaFosse's life, the one who wants to marry her, Michael. Mm-hmm. Now, before when uh, Miss Pettigrew first heard about Michael, she imagined him being dull and boring, and she didn't think Miss LaFosse should marry him or anyone, and I have to say, when I was first reading about that part, I was getting really excited, because like, oh my god, is this book like actually really forward-thinking, and is Miss LaFosse just going to have a grand career and stay single, and how freaking no. radical is that? No. And then, um, yeah. Miss Pettigrew meets Michael and instantly changes her mind. And mm-hmm. to be fair, I mean, Michael seems like he's probably kind of a babe. Right. He's strong, manly, and rich. And Miss Pettigrew advises Miss LaFosse to marry him immediately. Mm-hmm. So Michael has come to give Delicia, Delicia is LaFosse's first name. Yes. An ultimatum and a one week deadline. Agree to marry him or he will leave her alone and never ask her again, which I think is it's fair. Fair enough. Yep. So after midnight, the ladies head to the nightclub, the Scarlet Peacock, which is a stupid name for a nightclub. So stupid. <laughs> Where all of our main characters are gathered. Michael, Edith, and Tony, as well as a few new ones. Miss P makes a new friend amongst them, a man named Joe Blomfield, uh, and his lady friend Angela join their group. Joe and in, Joe is in his 50s, but well-preserved and clearly loaded. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful but cold Angela is a pretty young thing on his arm. She clearly doesn't actually care about him. Nope. Miss P is frustrated that Joe is spending his time on a woman who only cares about his money. Miss Pettigrew and Joe hit it off right away. They dance, talk, and Miss P even lets herself flirt a little bit. Um, Then Nick shows up and tells Delicia to dance with him. But just when it seems when Delicia will give in to Nick and Michael will lose her, Miss P, kingmaker, hisses, suck him one. And Michael punches Nick right in the face. It's hilarious. It's a great scene. It works and it breaks Nick's spell over Miss LaFosse. As the group all leave, Miss P finds herself separated from the rest and alone in a cab with Joe. (gasps) They have all kissy kissy in the cab. What? Before Miss P finally returns to Miss LaFosse's apartment where she and Michael are making plans for their future life together. Miss Pettigrew finally tells Miss LaFosse the truth that she was only there about the governess job. And that's when Miss LaFosse realizes there was a mix-up because she never asked for a governess. Nope. (laughs) Apparently she called the employment agency looking for a maid and the employment agency had gotten that switched with another job. So uh, it was a wonderful, delightful mix-up that made everyone's life better. Yes. Um, Miss LaFosse is going to marry Michael. But she's also going to continue her acting career. And since she won't have time to take care of the house, she and Michael ask Miss Pettigrew to come live with them and be their housekeeper. Yes. So Miss Pettigrew ends the day with a home, a job, and friends who love and truly value her. Ugh. And Joe wants another date. It's so adorable. The end. It's Yay! a wonderful ending. So I... Yeah, it isn't quite as forward-thinking as I thought it might no. be in terms of, like, female empowerment. Right. But... 
There's a lot of great, st- mm-hmm. uh, great stuff. Um, Miss LaFosse has no intention of giving up her acting career. No. Michael would not ask her to. Correct. And you know what? If you don't want to be a housekeeper, there's nothing wrong with delegating. Exactly. As long as you have money to pay someone. Exactly. And you know, they she doesn't she doesn't have Miss Pettigrew judge Miss LaFosse for having multiple lovers. No, I mean she she's tempted, but every time she stops herself, she goes, "Right, why? why? Exactly. Like, I'm on. I've been living virtuously for fifty. No, not fifty. For almost forty years, mm-hmm. and I'm miserable. Yep. Maybe there are better Hello. ways to do things. Exactly. So I I thought that that part was for. Yes, that me. was definitely very modern. And I was I was quite happy to hear that. And as long as you can ignore those few Reasons. sentences that are not yep. great. There's a lot of wonderful modern yes. and like the female friendships in this book yes. are so delightful. I love the way Edith and Delicia and Miss Pettigrew all yes, like, and that was help the, each other. The one of the problems I do have with the movie mm-hmm. is they add the female competition. Yeah, and I'm totally not totally okay agree. That. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, that is one of the few flaws of the adaptation yes. for me. Yes. Which speaking of which, would you like to tell us about the film adaptation, Sam? I would love to. Released by Focus Features in 2008, Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day was adapted by David McGee and Simon Beaufoy, directed by Barrett Nullery, and stars the indelible Frances McDormand as Miss Pettigrew. She is wonderful. She is perfect. She can do very little wrong in my eyes. so true. Yeah. So true. Uh, Amy Adams as Delicia LaFosse. Again, excellent casting. Right? She is like so bubbly and perfect and just effervescent. When she runs across her apartment and like she holds her, like she's arms are bent at the elbows yep. and like her, her hands are kind of like bouncing while she runs she looks yes. just like mm-hmm. yeah yes. just like a 30s movie star she it's moves so like true. one uh, Lee Pace is Michael uh, Mark Strong as Nick Caldarelli spot on casting so perfect. I can't even tell you uh, Morning Myrtle I mean Shirley Henderson <laughs> as Edith yeah and Kieran Hines as Joe Blumfield uh, oh, so good so good I mean the the cast is quite Enjoyable, yes, for all of its whitewash. It is a great yes. cast. Um, so we open as Miss Pettigrew is unceremoniously thrown out of a stately townhome after losing yet another governor's position with no wages. She then runs into Lee Pace and loses all of her belongings and end up at ends up at the soup kitchen where she 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 sees Moaning Myrtle getting handsy with a naughty naughty gentleman. I cannot talk today. Oh I can't God. either. We we're not drinking and we can't talk. I don't know what's going. on. I don't on. know what's going on. Uh, she spends the night at the train station sleeping upright on a bench. So basically, already the adaptation is deviating majorly from the book and making her even more pathetic. Right, making her more pathetic connecting her with all of the players she's going mm-hmm. to meet later. Yep. Um, and then just basically kind of setting up the day mm-hmm. before it's even started. Uh, so the next morning, she returns to her employment agency in search of another position, but after a litany of her past failures as dictated by Doc Martin's Aunt Joan, she steals the calling card <laughs> what? of... What? Doc Martin's Aunt Joan? Yes. So the actress playing Miss Holt Played Aunt Joan and Doc Martin. Oh, okay. All right. I was thinking of the shoe. <laughs> oh. I was very confused. No, I don't no. think shoes have aunts, Sam. No, 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 they don't. But the show, Doc Martin, okay. has an aunt. Fair. All right. Yes. <laughs> she steal, uh, So Miss Pettigrew steals the calling card of a potential employer off Aunt Joan's desk and leaves without a job. 
Uh, Miss Pettigrew heads to Lucia LaFosse's spacious flat, where she gets Amy Adams out of bed and immediately comes to her rescue by rousting a naked Phil Goldman out of the place in the Nick. Haha, get it? Nick. Ha ha. Oh, because <laughs> the boyfriend's name is Nick. Yeah. I want to um, interrupt you to say that they added in a fantastic dick joke that is not in the book. That is true. <laughs> when they're rousting the naked Phil. Yeah. It's, it's it's blink and you miss it, but yep. I, we don't want to spoil it. You should just watch it. Just watch the movie for the dick yep. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> My mom and dad right. listen to this podcast. At least yours do. Yeah, you have to tell your mom dick jokes in person. <laughs> it's it just gets awkward. <laughs> oh, anyways, so Phil is a son of a famous theater producer in London and is trying to get a show of his own off the ground. New subplot alert. Delicia is hoping to star in Pile on the Pepper. Pile on the Pepper is a terrible name for Seriously. a show. It sounds like it's a really bad show. Yeah. I gotta say. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Phil is her best chance at that, despite the competition of the rabbit, because we need more instances of women competing. Hmm. Uh, there's also a the n- rabbit is a yes. person. Yes, her name is Charlotte she, Warren. She nicknamed her the rabbit. Yes. In case you haven't seen the movie. Yeah. It's not an actual rabbit no, that she's competing not. with. Yeah. Um, but there is also another added subplot of Aunt Joan sending the correct social secretary to Delicia's and Miss Pettigrew trying to put the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, li- like, the in the movie they add a lot more layers mm-hmm. and, like, kind of further connect all of the it's characters. a little less straightforward. Yeah. Uh, Miss Pettigrew and Delicia still connect quickly and Miss and Delicia takes Miss Pettigrew into her confidence about Nick, Phil, and Michael. That's only three men. Yeah. You know. It's, it's only not three that men. Bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. Um, and just knows Miss Pettigrew is the answer to her prayers. Once Nick arrives, Miss Pettigrew th- throws herself into her role as Delicia's new social secretary and swaggers, swaggers about ordering Nick out so the girls can go to the fashion show. New scene. That's right. a new location. Right? That's right. Even though they keep Miss Pettigrew smoking the cigar to convince Nick Delicia's had no other men there, they've added a fashion show. Uh, at the fashion show, we meet Edith, who is a combination of Edith and Angela. And yes, this early on, Joe Bloomfield, Blumfield, who is supposed to be a combination of Tony and Joe, I think, because he's engaged to Edith, but whatever, he's nothing like Tony. Yeah, he's Joe. He's but just he's, Joe. It's, he's Joe, but he's in a relationship with Edith. Right. It's, there is no Tony. There is no Tony. There's no um, Angela. Yeah. It's, and Edith's just... Edith's just a bitchier. Right. Edith's not a nice person, unlike no. in the book. Yes. Agreed. Um, and I think that's one of the things about the book I like, is like, the female characters are all just good people. Yeah. They're not, like, vindictive or, you know, kind of have bad motivations. Like, in the movie, they twist characters. I mean, except for maybe Angela. She's in with Joe for his money, but, but even, Joe's aware of that, and it's not even, like, it's so malicious. Angela and Joe aren't engaged. No, they're just and having he, fun. And he kind of was like, you know, she likes George better anyways. She's going to hang out with George. Exactly. I'm not worried about Angela. Right, exactly. I don't feel bad for Angela. No, I don't feel bad for Angela, and I don't feel bad for Joe. No. No. Um, but in the movie, they, like, twist the characters. Yeah. So and you're, it sets you're, up not a weird... sim- you're not sympathetic for them. No. And it sets up a weird conflict with Edith's character because... Okay, so I'm, I'm interrupting to, like, delve into this own little, like, personal thing that I have with this movie. <laughs> when Edith is first asking Miss Pettigrew for help to get Joe back, she starts crying. Mm-hmm. And Shirley Henderson is... A fantastic actress. She is. She has a very 
unique voice and so i think she gets pigeonholed a lot but i've seen her in a lot of things she's I fantastic watch in everything a lot of she TV. does she is a fantastic actress mm-hmm. and she puts so much emotion into edith i really feel bad for her mm-hmm. even though i know that she actually did cheat on joe because we saw it we saw it like yep i really feel for her loss mm-hmm. and then later on in the movie it turns just, out she actually did it's like mercenary she just wants his money in his position yeah and it actually that actually kind of bothered me that she was doing too good a job at being fake sympathetic right? like i almost yeah. i want shirley henderson is too good an actress and i wish edith wasn't that good an actress right. you I, know i agree yeah yeah yep um yeah so okay so back up i know i took in okay. this little side winding road that's what we do here in the dark that's what we do it's who we are yeah, yeah we're dark <laughs> i don't think that's who we are Sam. no i don't think it's who we are at all okay um, oh, yes. And I should probably mention the movie takes place during the beginning of World War II as an obvious plot point, And they make this clear with, like, fashion gas masks and air raid drills. That's a big change, and the air raid drill. Yeah. And it's so, and like... Impending war. They make the war an obvious plot. And, a, and it dri- not drives the character, but it, it um, provides some motivation to, like, Miss Pettigrew and Joe. It gives them it gives them a, a shared backstory. Right. It gives them a shared backstory. And it also helps, like, kind of separate them from the younger characters from yeah. like Delicia and Michael and Edith do they and... do they say the year that the movie is set in the beginning they, I don't believe they do I mean they met, it's 1937 when the book was written I think it's like the, around the same time but is it like a year or two later I mean, yeah it might be 1938 or something like I that. probably should have looked up when Air Raids actually started in London huh I don't remember yeah I don't either yeah. sorry about that guys fail oops my bad uh oh google it yourself right we're not doing all the work for you we're telling you the entire movie and book, but we're not, we're not going to Google do, You can you. Google when a movie takes place. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, and so, like, one of the things I do appreciate about them, how they use the movie medium from the book, is they show Miss Pettigrew's love of the movies in a really funny way by having Delicia listing a bunch of movies that she's starred in. Quote, I say unquote. In quotes, <laughs> and Miss Pettigrew has actually seen the, all of the movies that she lists, so Delicia has to, like, admit that she was either a seriously minor part or her part was cut completely. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's like, great. I was in Four is the Crowd. Oh, who are you? The crowd. <laughs> and it's just, it's really, it's like, it's one of the, one of the ways that I feel like movies can do a good job of, mm-hmm. of bringing character traits in without having to like have like long monologues or kind of like voiceovers. Yeah, you learn. Explaining character. And Amy Adams' performance is fantastic. Exactly. Um, anyway, Joe and Edith are on the outs and Joe finds himself fascinated by Miss Pettigrew. Even after she drops cake on his shoe, Edith and Delicia give Pettig- Miss Pettigrew a makeover at Edith's salon. Edith and Delicia enlist Miss Pettigrew's help in getting Edith back into Joe's good graces. Well, Edith blackmails Miss Pettigrew into into it by threatening to reveal where she's seen Miss Pettigrew before. The soup kitchen, right? And so this is just another aspect of Edith's character that they've changed that I just don't appreciate. Oh, and that's another thing that they added to the movie that is not in the book is how Miss Pettigrew is constantly trying to eat and mm-hmm. constantly being yes. thwarted before she can eat anything, yes. which like hurts me on a visceral level. Right? I'm like, just eat the food. Oh my god, just let her have a bite of toast. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like at the end, she like chases an apple on the floor. I'm like, don't do it. I'm like, thank God the janitor swept it away because just no. Mm. Anyways, back to the middle of the movie. 
Yes. Uh, once, Alic- once Delicia and Miss Pettigrew return to the apartment, we meet Michael, again, way earlier in the movie than in the book, mm-hmm. who wants to marry Delicia. Michael turns out to be Lee Pace, who bumped into Miss Pettigrew as he was being released from jail after a year. And Michael's a big change. Michael is a very big change. He's a piano player, he's poor, mm. and he gives her a day ultimatum. He well, says, an hour. He, well, he says... <laughs> Till the morning. Because <laughs> he's sailing. Right. He's going to... He's gotten a job in New York. He's going to go to New York, and he wants Delicia to come with him. Um, but Lee Pace is very hot in this movie, and he's got a British accent. And, and his and a beautiful singing voice. Beautiful Which I voice. think is actually his it voice. It is his voice. Yep. He and, he and Amy Adams have a duet. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, and they're gorgeous together. They are. Uh, so clearly we are meant to root for Michael from the very beginning, and boy, do we. I mean, he is very attractive. Yep. But yeah, they set up a very stark, like, in the book, <laughs> in the book, um, Delicia LaFosse has to choose between a bunch of different rich guys. Right. And in the movie, it's, you have to choose love or money. It's a very Hollywood. It's very Hollywood. Narrative. Yep. Yeah. So Michael gives Delicia an ultimatum, marry him and join him in NYC or he'll never see her again. Miss Pettigrew is smitten with Michael and I love Frances McDormand's performance as she's like interacting with Michael. Her face is just priceless. Um, and we just know that she's plotting a way to get Delicia to agree to marry him and Michael's shirt matches Delicia's just, oh my God, they're meant to be together. Oh, it was planned. It was. Yeah, they with the movie they basically make it the plot of Two Princes by um, Spin Doctors. Yes, that's yes. that's what they were. That I'm sure is, that was the inspiration. That's totally the inspiration. They were like, "Hey, we have this doc, we have this song, and we have this book. Let's put them together. <laughs> Let's do a crossover appeal of a Spin Doctor song in a 1930s. Oh my god, comedy. Uh, Amy and Walt, do you want to do that one? Listen to Crossover Appeal. They aren't making any new episodes, though, are they? No, not right now. They're taking a break. They're taking a break. Because they had a baby. They did. Congratulations. (laughs) I did it first. (laughs) I mean, yeah. No, I didn't. Their baby came first. Well, you had a baby years before they Yeah, no, but their baby was due after mine. Theirs came early. Mine came late. Well, that's because yours is a jerk. Yes, he is. And he wanted to stay warm in the winter. Yeah. Sure. Just go with it. Well, just go with it. Just, we have to assume my womb is super enticing and that's why I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to go there, but go for it. No one wants, well, he didn't want to come out of there. That's what I'm saying. Um, Where were you? Uh, were you talking about the movie? <laughs> then it turns out Delicia is the host of the party in the movie, which is actually meant to be the platform for Phil Goldman to announce who will be starring in Pile on the Worst Pepper. Isn't it weird that you're like, hey, I'll host this party for you to announce uh, a casting decision and I'm not guaranteed a role. Right? Like, I would I would not offer no. to host a party unless mm-hmm. I... Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a ballsy move. Yeah, right. Slash setting yourself up for a heartbreak. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, so Michael is apparently is playing the piano apparently in his professional capacity, even though he said that he would see her later tonight. And I thought he meant he was going to see her at the club at their job, but no, he's playing her party, and so that's he's the only piano game. player in London. Okay, apparently. Uh, and Edith dictates that Miss Pettigrew use this opportunity to repair Edith's relationship with Joe. Delicia and the rabbit compete for Phil. Ugh, so annoying. But Miss Pettigrew does her best to ensure Delicia gets her fondest wish, which is to get the roll and pile on the pepper, even though Miss Pettigrew wants her to marry Michael. Hmm. Uh, Miss Pettigrew succeeds in getting Delicia the starring role in pile on the pepper. 
and also a marriage proposal from Phil, which was not in the cards or what Miss Pettigrew tried to do. Aiming for, but whatever. Uh, And Edith and Joe reconcile, thanks to Miss Pettigrew. Like you do. All of this due to Miss P. Uh, After the party, Delicia and Miss Pettigrew head to Nick's club. Still the Scarlet Peacock. Still the worst name for a club it's a ever. Terrible name for a club. Uh, and we don't actually get the helpful explanation as to how it got that terrible name. Oh, would you like to tell our listeners how it got that terrible name? Sam? Uh, so in the book, Nick has a business partner, and Nick wanted to call it the Scarlet Woman. Woman, and um, his partner wanted to call it the Blue Peacock, the Green Peacock. Green peacock I think Green Peacock. So they like flipped a coin and couldn't win, so they split the difference. Oh no! Wasn't they flipped a coin? They they cut a deck right. of cards and they the, both, both drew the Ace of Spades. Right, and you're like, because uh, <laughs> they're both cheaters, cheaters. And so they had and so to split they split the, split the name, and they came up with a Scarlet Peacock. I would have called it the Green Woman. Right? Anything? Ugh! It's just dumb. Um. Uh, for Delicia's last night singing there. Because that's a complete thought. Sorry. <laughs> I sh- so what you're trying to say is I should stop interrupting you mid No, 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 no. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> that's what we do. Uh, so Miss Pettigrew and Delicia share a moment in the cab when Delicia re- reveals her true name, Sarah Grubb, and status in the world, which is pretty much the same as Miss Pettigrew's. Penniless and close to being without a job. Yep. She lives on the charity of others. Mm-hmm. Joe and Miss Pettigrew have a dance after Joe asks her and she confesses she can only dance the waltz when luckily the band then plays a waltz. Oh, I know. I love when they dance. And I just love their dance. Their flirtations are so sweet. It really is. So sweet. Uh, Michael and Delicia share one last song together, If I Didn't Care, so Michael can pull any and all strings to convince Delicia to choose him. Mm. And it's beautiful. Emotional manipulation. Yeah. I mean, if he looked like... if. Someone looked like Lee Pace and did that to me. I would yeah, honestly, not I don't. You wouldn't have to that. Okay, but also, I don't look like Amy Adams. No. So like, that's never gonna happen. But yeah, if Lee Pace was like, "Hey, would you like to?" Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Please. You don't mm-hmm. have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what no. is it? You. Yep. 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 I'm there. Uh, an air raid siren goes off before they can launch into the next song, and even though club, even though the club is an air raid shelter, people run for it. Delicia and Miss Pettigrew hide under the piano and share a heart to heart, where Delicia realizes Michael is the one for her. Life is short. You got to mm-hmm. grab onto hotties like Lee Pace when right? come into your life. Yep. Um, I mean, hot, sensitive piano yes. players. Yes. Looks if aren't everything. They look like Lee Pace. They are. Yeah. You can't. You can't I'm grinning like a mad woman. That's yeah. Sorry. I should be describing your facial expression. <laughs> Sam's kind of panting. <laughs> it's a little unsightly. Um, Michael still hits Nick, but Nick fights back this time. Though Michael wins with a knockout punch after Delicia asks him to marry her. Mm-hmm. And Miss Pettigrew still is the one who tells her to hit him. Yes. That was... Tells I him appreciated him. that. Yes. She's like, go, Miss Pettigrew! Yeah. Miss um, Pettigrew and Joe share a moment, though Edith ruins it by revealing both Ms. Edith's infidelity and Miss Pettigrew's real situation. Joe breaks it off with Edith and rushes after Miss Pettigrew, who has made it back to Delicia's flat in time to say goodbye to Delicia and Michael as they live leave for nyc ruin that moment didn't i oh it was you had such great momentum with the sentence too <laughs> crap i hadn't interrupted you for seconds Ugh. oh well uh, do you want to do it again no it's okay all right let's keep going uh miss pettigrew ends up back at the trans train station where she found by joe who admits he's been looking for her all night and possibly all his life in fact oh, oh. so romantic they walk off together into the sunset, figuratively, of course. They're walking off into the sunrise, and more importantly, 
the closest diner so she can get some goddamn breakfast. (laughs) Yep. So that's the movie. And it's just a delight. A charming movie. It is very charming. There are some things from... It's interesting. This is, I feel, a really tough call. I think there's some things in the book that I like a lot better. Mm-hmm. There's some things that they're able to do in the movie that aren't in the book that I love. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know which one I like better. I can't right? choose. It's hard. It's hard. Like mm-hmm. There's I, no clear winner on this I, race. Yeah, I don't think I could pick. Mm. Well, do you want to play some fun and yeah, games? Yeah, let's do this. You All want right. to do some heart dogs and hairdos? Yes, ma'am. All right, who are your top three hotties? All right, well, number one is Lee Pace as Michael. Claire. Because he is physically... Yep. Quite attractive. Oh my god! And he plays the piano and sings beautifully. Yes, and he does. And I love the scruff on him when he yes. first gets out of jail. He's just a little oh. bit scruffy. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Number two is Mark Strong as Nick. Oh, a little bit of a bad boy. Nice. He's a bad boy. He is. And that hairpiece is quite convincing. Ugh. And I love his voice. Oh, like, every yes. single role he does, he just starts talking, and I'm like, done. Yeah. I'm done for. He's he's dark and Ugh, handsome and he's tall. So attractive. He's tall, dark and handsome. He is. And like if if you decide to read the book and you read the description of Nick Calderelli, it's you will be like spot on. They could not cast anyone other than Mark Strong if they were staying true to the description of the character. Seriously. Yeah. And hottie number three is Amy Adams as Delicia LaFosse. Because she is yes. stunning. Yes. And um, like just physically perfect yep. and adorable, but also a great actress. But she is just yes. gorgeous. Yes. Uh, so we actually overlapped on two out of the three. Okay, I I think I can guess, but go on. Uh, so I actually this is not in any particular order. Sure. Uh, but I actually went with Captain Wentworth. Of course, Kieran Hines. I love Kieran Hines. He is he's, wonderful. He's a wonder. I love his characterization of Joe. I thought he captured him really well. He is. An older gentleman and not creepy, which Correct. is a hard law. Lo- very it's, hard. It's very, very hard not to do. Yeah. But he Take no presidential off. candidates. Thank you, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I I had to go with, with, with Joe Blomfeld. Okay. Uh, Lee Pace. Yes. Even though he's Ronan the Accuser and Legolas is his lame dad, he is perfection in this movie. <sighs> And I love him in Pushing Daisies. Can you really blame someone for a view? They're like, hey, The Lord of the Rings was really great, and we're going to make a Hobbit movie or series of movies. Do you want to be involved? I don't you fault, would say yes. I don't fault him for being in those movies. Okay. Because there are a lot of fantastic... I mean, Thor and Sexy Shield. <laughs> Thor and Sexy Shield. <laughs> yeah, I pulled that out of the vault. You're welcome. <laughs> Hi, Jillian. I forgot about that. <laughs> Thor and Sexy Shield. I yep. mean, he's another tall, dark, and handsome with the perfect voice. He can do Richard Armitage. We should watch more Richard Armitage films. Yes. What Richard Armitage films are based on a book? North and South. Oh, I don't like I her. To, I don't want to have to read that one oh, again. Oh, God. I'll, we'll have to go through his, okay. his filmography we'll and work pick on one. that. Um, but yeah, so I wish the series finale of Vicar of Dibley was based on a book. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, um, so yes, The Hobbit. That yeah, I not leaving Lee Pace. No, I don't, and I don't fault him for being in that movie. Okay, but his character was terrible. <sighs> 
Yeah, I know. I know. It's And that's not necessarily his fault. I probably would blame that on Peter Jackson. But he didn't help. Uh, there's, I think a lot He's of... still very attractive. I think though. a lot of bad decisions went into those movies. Yes. That is a, a fair statement. And, and we are never doing a Hobbit no. episode. No. I am not subjecting anybody to those movies. Oh my god. I'm not... No. Anyways. And my third one is Amy Adams. There you go! Yeah! I definitely... I, at first I assumed that it was going to be Kieran Hines. And then I was like... You know what? As much as I love him, this is not his most attractive no. to me. No, no. And I, I really had to give it to Mark Strong. Yeah. I mean, I normally I am straight up bad boy right out the right out the right. gate. But I just I had to. But my fun pulls off yeah, the little really mustache I mean, and the pinstripe suit with the hat. He does the just, smarm really oh, well. So good. Ugh, yeah, no, and, I do enjoy Mark Strong. I think the most important part is that no one thought Phil was a hottie. Exactly, no, no he was never even a consideration for nope. that one. Nope. Uh, what are your top three styles? Okay, so this and this was fun actually picking out favorite yes, outfits because there's a lot of beautiful fashion in this movie. So, uh, outfit number one, uh, Delicia's blue day outfit, and she has a fantastic matching the hat. hat. It's such a great hat. Are we going to overlap on these two even with all of them? Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, my outfit number two is not only really an outfit, but Edith wears a black fascinator at the cocktail party. Yeah. Which is stunning. Gorgeous. And outfit number three is a little bit of a dark horse. Oh. Miss P wears a black dress to the nightclub, and it's honestly not the perfect dress but it's got this open mm-hmm. feature in the back and the little bow tie which is the back. really stunning mm-hmm. and so it's it's a very um understated dress especially compared to some of the stuff that some of the other people are wearing and so miss petty was a little older she's showing less skin mm-hmm. long sleeves but then she's got this cutout in the back yes. and it is so Gorgeous. sexy and Frances mcdormand looks so elegant mm-hmm. so i'm that is my third what are yours, Sam? Did uh, so I, do we overlap on all of them again? Not all of them. Two out of the three. Two out of the three again. Okay. Yeah. So I also selected Delicia's blue dress and matching hat. Because that hat is fantastic. It's so adorable. It just, it looks so good on her, too. Um, and I actually selected Delicia's gold dress. Mm, that was an excellent dress. Yes. It was, it was, it fit Amy Adams perfect. It was she very looked flattering. Fantastic. It had, like, great color, great style. Um, and then I actually selected Miss Pettigrew's black dress as well. You did? I did. Oh. I loved the ruffle and the giant flower and the cutout. See, I the didn't back. love the ruffle. I thought I felt it like worked. the back of that dress is what yes. did it for the me. The back, but and the back is just gorgeous. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, I don't. I didn't look up the costume designer's name, but whoever did the costumes for this movie, mm-hmm. just perfect. Two thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Well done. Very well done. Uh, is it time for some quizzes and questions? Let's do it. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so, what did you think of the the inclusion of Delicia's like career aspirations being something to work towards in the movie? It felt very Hollywood, right? And it definitely set up this love or money choice, which isn't in the book. No, and I and I felt like it was very much a that's just that's a story that I've heard a million times. So that uh, it didn't bother me when I first saw the movie, but when I read the book. And then rewatch the movie. Mm-hmm. Was kind of like that doesn't have to be the narrative. Right. So that part, I was kind of like she has to choose between each. Each of those three men represents something about mm-hmm. her life. You know, her career or money or love, and it's right. I don't know. It's a it's a false 
um, choice. Right. In the book, she doesn't have to choose. No, she doesn't have to choose. She, she chooses Michael because she, she loves him, and she also and gets she money and career. Exactly. It's, like, perfect. Um, so, yeah, that's how I feel about it. What about you? Um, I, d- I thought it was unnecessary. So, the subplot, like, the whole subplot of her, like, trying to build her career rather than already having one, and yeah. then her, her forced competition to maintain and build that career, I felt were unnecessary. Plus... To both the character and the, the movie. I'm like... Be- and then having... Like, in the, when I first saw it, I was totally with you. Like, it felt totally natural and stuff. But then I read the book, and I was like, wait, you don't actually There's plenty need of this. story without that. Exactly. Also, it does kind of bother me that the only way to get cast is to sleep, sleep with the producer. Right. Exactly. And I was like, you're kind of Can selling we... yourself short yeah. a little bit. It's one thing that she is sexually open and sleeps with who she wants to sleep with but i'm like i'm two thumbs up on that one but yeah it's to get a job it's in it's weirdly like less forward thinking than the book yes the book that was made in 1937 is a little bit more enlightened around women's choices right it's like you like yes you sleep with the theater producer if you want if it's consensual and stuff like that but don't do it to ensure yourself the lead role yeah it's like because is do you really like yeah Anyways, then again in the book, she's like, "But I'm not going to marry Phil because he's probably a little Jewish." So you know, yeah, again, racist. not great. And they should just freaking cut that line out and mm-hmm. just yeah. excise it. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Anyways, anyways, I have one last question. Yes, ma'am. Um, and it's actually become one of my favorite questions of late. What would you recommend first, reading the book or watching the movie? Does it even matter? In this one, I'd say it would doesn't matter. Right. I, yeah, I think you can enjoy either one first. Mm-hmm. I don't think, although it's funny because I did just say that there's parts of the movie that I like right. less well, or there's parts of the movie that bother me more now that I've read the book, but there's so many great things in the movie. Mm-hmm. I still enjoy it, even having read oh, the yeah. book. So. Oh, exactly. Like, I watched it again to retype out my notes. I'm like, this is so much fun. It's such a fun so movie. So much fun. So, I would say whichever one you get your hands on first. Right. I mean, if you don't want to read the book, again, you're not losing out. But I thought I I very much enjoyed the book. There's some very it, fun jokes it in the book. Flew by. There's some really great jokes in the book yep. that are not in the movie yes. too. And it's like I had no idea this this author even existed. And like yeah. I enjoyed her. Do you think She's you're gonna? Good. So according to her biography, the biographic stuff I was able to find online. She doesn't actually have a biography, but according to the stuff I was able to find online, and then there's a. There's an introduction to the version, to yeah, the I read Kindle the edition I have. Yep. Um, this is very different from her other novels. I'm not sure I would seek them out. So then. I'm not sure if I would, because it sounds yeah. like her other novels aren't. They're like more drama y, like North and, North and South E, and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as we've established, we have limited patience for North and South. Yes. Uh, it just, if. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I read know. A, I read a great thing. It may have been on the toast about North and South, and it was like. How her father, like, objects to something the church is making him do, but then, like, so he just, like, ruins the family's entire life with yeah. no, like, follow-through. Yep. I, I feel like this is the big part of the book. I'm badly, I'm badly summarizing a very humorous article, but... Yes. Um, it, it was very funny. The plot of North and South is yes. stupid, is my uh, point. No, it's very stupid. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't... It's and I'm sorry, really... but the, the main character is terrible, She's and so annoying. Why would anybody want to marry her? <laughs> Sam, you're a little. That was a little harsh. That was a little bit harsh. I mean, dude, Anna Maxwell Martin didn't even want to be her friend at the end. She'd rather die than be her. I'm just gonna die of 
tuberculosis rather than be your friend. Seriously. Anyways, do you have any questions for me? I do. I have a, I have a lot of questions about your life choices, Sam. Um, so, okay. Is it really a good idea for movie Miss Pettigrew to just, like, go home with Joe? And I feel a little like Queen Elsa here, but you can't just marry a man you just met, even if you are homeless. Or is you being homeless the one circumstance where you have to make an exception to that rule? And what do you think? Oh, my God. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, normally I would be with Queen Elsa on this one, um, but I also appreciate the fact that Miss Pettigrew is homeless and hungry. <laughs> nowhere to go. And having, knowing the kinds of thoughts I have when I'm hungry, I don't make the best decisions of my life. <laughs> so it's, it's a romance born of being hangry. I'm a little concerned that it is. But that's why it bothers me. So... In this case, I think, like, I like that in I the like book. The, yes. She has a job mm-hmm. and a date. And she and Joe are going to go out again. Yes. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is... It's very fairy tale at the end of the movie. And, and well, and that's the He's thing. He's come like, to rescue her. The my We've said it earlier, and you, you said it perfectly, like, my biggest problem with this movie is it's Hollywoodized. Mm-hmm. And so... They, there has to be a happy ending for Miss Pettigrew. Of course. And the happy ending has to be happily ever after with a guy. Yeah, the happy ending falls into this, this very narrow parameter. Yes. like a Hollywood happy ending. In the book, her happy ending is that she has friends and right. a job it's and a place to live. the entire thing. So like, and a date. In the, in the movie, she's left by Delicia and Michael before they can even think. Edith is a complete and utter b word yes um so that's not an option and so like all she has left is joe because miss holt aunt joan is never going to give her a job no ever she has no job she is back to square one she's back to where she was at the beginning of the movie and so it's like joe is her savior yeah and i don't i don't like that which like i and i love joe and i love and it's and if you don't and if you don't think about it too much it's really sweet and romantic and it's a lovely wonderful ending but if you think about it for like two seconds you're like like, oh "Oh." she's kind of yeah extremely dependent on him right and so you know having seen only the movie for such a long time i was willing not to think about it yeah and i was willing to take it at face value and then i read the book and i was like oh Oh, wouldn't it be better if she also had a job Oh, yeah. Wait. No, this and, sucks. Like, had friends? Right. I'm like, this is not entirely dependent on him. I'm like, why are you in this shitty situation right now? <laughs> what the hell? This is not a happy ending. Um, It is if you don't think about it too much. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that is my answer. Yeah. I, I think we're very much on the same page here. Yeah. All right. My next question. Book Michael or movie Michael? Can I have both? No. Yes. Yes. Ooh. That's it. That's the fan fiction you should write. Yes! <laughs> I'm going to go do it. As soon as I get home. Book Michael and movie Michael. <laughs> because Problem solved. Because as we've discussed, why should you have to choose? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and they are, like, you know, movie Michael is Lee Pace. He's mm. a piano player, beautiful voice, very attractive. He's a little bit more of a sensitive artist. Right? Michael in the book is a little bit... He's not an oaf, but he's a little... He's a little coarse. Right. And I like that, and I... I'm not gonna lie. I like the money. Mm-hmm. The money's a good I'm thing. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say no to the money. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. gonna make my own money. Yes. But he. I'm not gonna say no to him making his money. Right. Right. So I would like both, please. What you, about are, you? you are so forward thinking. <laughs> You're such a modern woman, Sam. I try. Well, I was gonna say movie Michael because I can't resist a beautiful singing voice. But damn, you're putting me to shame. <laughs> 
And since you've taken them both, I guess I'll just stick with Joe. I mean, you can have both, too. Just whatever. All right, so this is like a weird commune <laughs> situation we're setting up here. All right, I have one more question for you. Okay. So in the book, uh, Miss Pettigrew is a natural mimic. She yes. impersonates one of her former employers, completely taking the situation by storm, and it's the rumor starts spreading that she's a character actress. And... Um, I don't know. Should Miss Pettigrew become an actress? Yes, I think that would be fantastic. Like instead of being instead um, of a housekeeper, instead of being a housekeeper, or maybe housekeeper part time, and mm-hmm. also like Delicia could get her some right? jobs as character actress. In I her think that would plays. be so much fun for her. Wouldn't it though? <laughs> okay, so your fan fiction is okay. going to have a subplot. Yes, where Miss Pettigrew is is all the characters. breaking into breaking into. I was going to say, she's breaking into theater while you are living with Book Michael and Movie Michael. All right, I can do that. I can totally do that. (laughs) I look forward to reading it. You want to do some fake awards? Yeah, let's Let's do do it. it. All right. So my Jeff Goldblum award goes to Shirley Henderson as Edith because she is too good. That's I really think that she puts too much... She's such a good actress. Yes. And I think she actually makes Edith too good an actress, and so it actually took me out a little bit. I, that's fair. I yep. Wonderful as she is. Who is your Jeff Goldblum? Uh, so my Jeff Goldblum award actually goes to Mark Strong. Really? Okay. Yes. Even though he truly matches how Nick is described in the book. I know it's like perfect casting. Perfect and yet... casting. But he's still just Mark Strong. <laughs> you, do you think that might be more you than him, though? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a problem? You're the one with the problems, Sam. <laughs> Uh, other awards? Uh, so the worst name for a play award goes to Pile on the Pepper. That's a terrible name for a play. Yep. Uh, and then Unnecessary Subplot Award goes to Delicia's Rival with the Rabbit. Yeah. Rivalry with Rivalry the Rabbit. Rivalry with the Rabbit. Totally back that up. All right. Uh, I have a few more awards. Yes. So the casting award goes to Leo Davis, casting director, for casting Mark Strong as Nick. Yes. But also, frankly, the whole cast the whole is cast. phenomenal. Yep. Um, and the Hell Hath No Fury Award... Uh, goes to Movie Edith for her color commentary on Joe's designs during the runway <laughs> and to Book Delicia for she describes the rival as she wasn't a female dog, she was a mongrel bitch. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite jokes yes. in the book. <laughs> oh, that's <sighs> awesome. Those are great awards. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And we just come to the end of another episode? We have. I know. This is my least favorite part when we end. I know. Me too. But next episode, we will be talking about one of Anna's all-time favorites this time. I am so excited for this one. We're going to be talking about The Witches by Roald Dahl. I have seen that movie so many times. I can quote Angelica Houston. Oh, my God. She's so amazing in this movie. I'm really excited. I'm pretty sure your husband also recommended that we have your daughter on as a guest because he just wants to be able to read this movie, this book to her, and and watch it as well. Well, wait, really? He does? Yes. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. So we're just starting getting her started on, like, easy chapter books. And so we actually found the witches at... um, We went to a a festival in our town, and the library had a stand where they were selling used books, and we got the witches. And... We're really excited mm-hmm. to read it to her. And now you're going to read it and make her watch it. And, yeah, although it is a little scary. <laughs> it is. I was super scared when I saw it. It's I a think very it scary or something movie. Like that. But uh, Roald Dahl is always really great at, like, yes. understanding what was scary and entertaining for children. Right. He always got yeah. that so well. So, yeah, sorry. So, you had a thing that you actually were going to say, but I'm right. very excited. Well, no, it actually, it actually 
perfectly lines up because be prepared to never look at mice the same way again or a large group of older, I say in quotes, women meeting in hotels. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. You see a group of older women with sensible shoes scratching their heads. And a lot of mice around them. Run in the other direction. Run far, far away. Oh, oh my mm-hmm. God. I'm so excited. Yeah. So it'll be great. In the meantime, please help us spread the word. Rate and review on iTunes. Tell your friends, coworkers, and aspiring 1930s actresses how great <laughs> Adapted with Anna and Sam is. We want to hear from you. Send questions, comments, and your six degrees to adaptedwithannaandsam at gmail.com. Or post everything on Facebook. You can find us at Adapted with Anna and Sam. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna, and I wish Royal Tenenbaums was based on a book. I'm Sam, and I wish Alien was based on a book. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye!